Welcome to the Iowa Innovation Podcast powered by Nuboco. This is a show where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. Hey, what's going on? I'm Anthony Betters. Hey, I'm Jessica Abdoni. On today's episode, we're bringing you our live interview from mm. EntreFest 2023, which was recorded on June 8th at the Engler in Iowa City. Our guest was Debbie Durham, director of the Iowa Economic Development Authority and Iowa Finance Authority, which I have to say a live podcast was terrifying. How about you? It was very nerve wracking, but it was also rewarding because, you know, Debbie, she's definitely a professional. I I would hope so with the amount of director in her title Mm -hmm. that I think she would be a professional, but she was a great lady to talk to. And I just really hope that both our moms listen to this podcast and give us feedback, which is what they always do. Yeah. But, you know, we threw her some questions and it was basically just like a big beach ball and she just knocked him out the park. She made it so easy for us. She had a lot of great things to say about Iowa and I think we did an awesome job. I agree. So with that, let's innovate, Iowa. Woohoo! Welcome, Debbie. I know you served as the Iowa Edu- uh, Economic Development Authority Director since 2011, and in 2019, yeah. Governor Reynolds had you take on the responsibility of leading the Iowa Finance Authority as well. And then there was, I know this is a long one, and then there was a pandemic. Can you go in and talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so the funny story is that um, actually when I went in to see Governor Reynolds, I actually went in with a resignation letter because I had signed a, um, you know, accepted a private gig in the private sector. And uh, not only did I not resign, but I ended up taking up a new agency that day. So I had a lot of explaining to do, not only to the company I was supposed to go to work for, but my husband, who thought I was actually going to be moving back permanently to Sioux City because I still go back and forth. Um, So, but the reason I said yes was very was for this reason, that any time that you can bring two really big organizations together that really do very separate things. So if you ever listen to me talk about how we approach growth in Iowa, it's very holistic, right? It's not about just building a business climate which our businesses can prosper, which is all about taxation and workforce and being development ready. It's equally, if not more important, that we're building communities on which people want to live because Iowa's greatest challenge is population. We have a population problem. Mm -hmm. So by bringing IFA together, which is really the housing authority, and if you think of IFA, it's private, doesn't receive any state funding, and it's, you know, it has assets of over $3 billion. So we're really kind of a state bank. We lend to banks for housing, and then we do most of the infrastructure. So it's really bringing these two entities together with the diversity of our portfolios and allowing us to to really deliver what I believe programs in a much more strategic way, but quite frankly, transformational for the state of Iowa. So we did that and we started bringing two very different cultures together. And the only way, and for me, it is all about building cultures in which people want to work, right? So you've got very different cultures. We finally came together as an organization under one roof, right? Working as one. Six months later, I send everybody home for COVID, right? And COVID, I think, taught us a lot. It certainly showed us our strengths. It also really revealed our weaknesses as a state. And when you think about, you know, we were very strong going into COVID, and I think that really helped because now we were ranked one of the strongest, most resilient states coming out. But what it really ruined that you can run the world from anywhere as long as you have connectivity. The world? The world. Okay. World. I mean, this thing big, right? You really can. And so the question was for us 
that you know one of the weaknesses that we saw was really broadband and connectivity. And so you know since then we've spent now over a billion dollars as a state making sure that I was completely connected. And we have to do that for really the opportunities for innovation in our state too. So you know with that, and if you look at it, every single industry pretty much was able to pivot almost overnight, right? I mean think of what people did with innovation and technology, even healthcare, which you know, healthcare, you know, we all knew we needed to do, you know, online medicine, right? Telehealth. And, but provide, insurances didn't know how to pay for it. Com, you know, res, you know, customers weren't used to it. You know, doctors weren't real sure how to deliver. And it worked out beautifully. In fact, I prefer it because then I can actually lie about my weight. Oh, uh, yeah, every time. So, yeah, of course I'm that. Way. I think one. it was in high school that I weighed that. But anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but so that's, I mean, so it really was a great opportunity. Uh, that showed, I think the one sector, and this is not an indictment against education, I think the one sector that really wasn't able to pivot was actually education, which is so unfortunate when you think of ed tech and how that, we're kind of the epicenter of that. And that really began to spotlight that if there's one area also that we need to work on is really looking at our classrooms so differently today and using more technology and innovation. So if in fact, God forbid, that ever happens again, or just the way we expect delivery as consumers, that we can make that pivot work. Mm, nice. I, yeah. yeah, I went to what you would call Zoom University because my school, yes. I was in university when COVID shut it down and there is, you know, big props to professors and teachers all over Iowa who made it work and made an environment that was, you know, it's hard to get te like kids, especially college kids, like involved in like their education when I have to have to admit that some of my college classes, I was in bed and just turned my camera off. And, and um, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get all, all these kids to be involved. So the fact that teachers were able to do it all over the country is big props to them. Now, higher ed has been doing it, particularly in upper degree, you know, because people working and accommodating that. I think it's really more the K through 12 yeah. area that we didn't see. But you know, it also gets into though, I'm a believer that everything is based on relationship, right? Yeah. And it's hard to have a relationship with a Zoom camera. And so there is this balance that yes, I think, you know, working from home is here to stay and certainly flex schedules and we all seem we need to do that to accommodate um, workers. But at the same time, you know, if, if you really, I, I believe culture and relationships drives everything in our, in our, in our communities that you know you need that in-person relationship so i think it's a balancing act of what this is going to look like going forward yeah nice 100%. and i don't even know jessica did we even introduce ourselves or no you did not no we did not oh, crap. Yes. okay yes. what is yes. going on here my name is jessica um that's anthony oh my jeez we need uh, to do our intro yes so i am anthony i do work at newboco i am the community engagement manager but what I was going to focus on, you talk about the K-12 side of things, mm -hmm. right? So at Nuboco, we do have a K-12 team that focuses on STEM. We've yes. actually have taught over 1,700 teachers how to teach coding to their students. Yeah. And so when you deep dive into education, I think you might have touched on this a little bit, but if you can dive a little bit deeper in the sense of how is education a uh, catalyst to economic development? Well, it's a catalyst in the sense that if you think about, you know, we're living at a time of such rapid change, right? And so, and if you look at the job skills that we have, so when I first came in back in 2011, there was this incredible chart that workforce development had, and it had like, here are the number of high skill jobs that the, the, the um, market needs, Iowa market needs, and then here are the number of people to fill those, and there was a huge gap. 
And then there was this middle skill set, and then there was this low skill set. You would show that the low skill jobs were pretty high, and we had a lot of people to fill them. That has shrunk tremendously. So what are we saying? Those jobs are leaving the marketplace, right? And so that means, really, to continue to grow our economy and making sure that our companies have the workforce and talent that they need, you really have to focus on that middle skill and those upper skill jobs. Right? So that is where you know, we're living in a time of incredible automation. If you look at manufacturing being Iowa's largest gross state product, going through what economists call the fourth industrial revolution, it is about digital plant floors. And I always tell the young people, if you have a tour to manufacturing plant, I would love to have a do-over education, to be honest. And I would be manufacturing. And because if you go into these plants, these are tech floors that happen to be manufacturing products. Uh, and it is game-changing. And so we really have to focus on STEM and all of these things. And the thing I love about STEM is it's ground up, not top down. Mm -hmm. So when it was first initiated, actually it was then Lieutenant Governor then, Kim Reynolds, that led that charge. It really started, we started the STEM, the STEM by not going to the administrators and even teachers. We really started it by starting with students and parents about opportunities. And you see how it has just gone crazy and schools are embracing it and what the things that you're doing. And, and in Introducing people to STEM, people thinking that you know they would never do these kind of jobs can do these kind of jobs. Coding used to be something. Now listen, when I went to school, coding was really a big deal. I mean, I, don't forget MySpace. Yes, your space. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> do you know what MySpace is? Not really. Oh, Lord, do you want it? Yeah. To? No, I have to say that I I was not. Okay, so tell me about MySpace. Space. Oh, Sorry. So, unbeknownst to you, I didn't even have a MySpace, but on our previous podcast, we talked about MySpace. So, MySpace I is should listen the to it. earlier of Facebook, basically. And so, oh. yes, and so was it Tom? Was that his name? Yeah, so I Tom was the guy who invented MySpace, okay. and he had made you go to the HTML and actually code oh. your page. Yes. And so that's kind of where that went in, but that went over everybody's head, so never mind. No, I'm yeah. sure people have MySpace. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so glad you said that, because I thought, ooh, no. this probably is a generation. Uh, yeah, it is yeah. definitely uh, an no. older generation. No, yeah, <laughs> got it. Of course, I am kind of technology challenged. I have people, no. right? I mean, at my age, I get people. It's yeah. okay. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. I think it's so funny, because um, I actually took, we have a Delta V code school, and I was premier code and digital marketing school, and um, we have like Code 101, which is like a one-day workshop, and I always Thought, well, I market for Nuboco and Delta V, so I want to see what I'm marketing. And I took Code 101, and I was so scared because I'm very much like the history, English, like journalism. Like I'll draw a picture and I'll paint, but I can't do STEM with something. I was like, oh, I'm not good with STEM. Like when I had to take my college math class, I cried to my mom for like two hours. I was like, I can't take it. I'm not going to graduate. I was fine. But um, what I, <laughs> but what I love is that coding is so, it's so fun and it's creative. It's creative. And it also yes. takes critical thinking and yes. noticing patterns and being able to problem solve. And I think that's what every child needs at the foundation to succeed. And, and so honest, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that the most, when people say the most important things we can teach in school is really that critical thinking mm -hmm. and how to process and, you know, that organizational thought process. So, um, but it's exciting to see. So it, it, the good thing is we're, once again, I was kind of ahead of it. We saw what was coming uh, with the, the explosion of STEM and these jobs as we 
see those low-skilled jobs leaving our marketplace, uh, they are getting replaced. And, and the good thing is that we have the talent pool that's going to be able to form. We just need more talent pool. So I always say we got to grow Iowa's population. So those of you who can birth more babies, please do. Um, I tell that, that to, to my you, children every day. I have no, I'm a grandmother of four, by the way. Um, and so, uh, yes, I know. It's the greatest, greatest job I have. Anyway. Did you nice. talk to my mom before this podcast? Because no. she wants grandkids uh, so she, bad. It's a, it's a mom thing, I think, for yeah. sure. And when you deep dive and talk about the Iowa population, of course, yes. then you can start talking about the entrepreneurs that come mm -hmm. to Iowa, yeah. right? Or even the entrepreneurs that have their their projects in their garage, but are still trying to make that mm -hmm. way to make that to their full-time position. And so can you talk a little bit further about what your vision is about the entrepreneurship in Iowa for the next five years and how can the Iowa citizens be able to help you with that vision? So it's interesting because I am going to go back to 2011. I mean, we talk about the entrepreneurial and innovation ecosystem and I would say in 2011, there, it was not an ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I walked into a state agency that, by the way, that you know had a few scandals. There was this thing called the film tax credit scandal, and and then we had this entire department that was trying to vet innovation deals. And I think government has a role, and I think there's a lot of great things government does, but that's not one of them, mm -hmm. right? And so the very first contract I signed was with VentureNet, basically, and that contract exists today. Um, and basically said, we're not going to do that anymore. The, what the state's role is to set up a funding continuum to help companies along the way until they can get to that point to where they can really bring in that outside investment. So it's really that early stage. And so we created this, um, not only do we outsource that entire department um, with VentureNet and build that relationship, but then we created a funding stream that we're able to really pivot on. So it is the continuation. So we can do everything from proof of concept all the way up to propel. And then we're able, if we say we need more money at this stage right now because we find that that's a missing gap in the financing, we can change that. And then we've been able to prop up things like the infrastructure funding and entrepreneurial assistance to help with setting up some of these accelerators and, and um, you know, just people dreaming about what they want to do and we can come in as a state and say okay we're going to give you some you know seed money to start that and you think about all the things new boco first of all, eric you know i think eric's probably the most creative person i've ever met oh big point to eric out there now yeah i tell you what i mean i don't even know if he ever sleeps right i i don't know but uh but you know you're always bringing these ideas forward and then state's role to me is to be able to just say absolutely let's see if it works and also being willing to say if it doesn't work, we should celebrate it. You know, I'm getting ready to go back to Israel and talk about a place that has this incredible innovation culture, and they operate with such a sense of urgency, like nothing I've ever experienced. But they celebrate failure over there, right? They actually have big events where people come and say, this really, this really didn't work. The state has to be willing to do that too. And so that's why this platform is treated so differently than like, for instance, our traditional economic development incentives that are really based on jobs and capital investment. This is really just based on ideas and really 
really to, as a spark to propel things forward. And I think it's been extremely successful. And then, you know, we've been able to partner with a lot of people. I think our relationship right now with our universities is stronger than it's ever been. Um, you know, I was just talking to John Darcy, who's here with the University of Iowa. You know, the stuff we're doing around medical innovations, right? And we, we propped up this proto studio lab, which I love because it's at the hospital. And doctors are talking about doctors are great creative minds, right? They can go down when they're between patients or, you know, when we're all waiting for them, of course, in their lobby. But uh, they can go down and they can tinker, right? And they can create things. And who knows what that's going to lead to. Where I look at TechWorks up, you know, it's in partnership with the University of Northern Iowa, which is a massive, massive 3D printing uh, laboratory that companies from all over the country and organizations uh, are using, John Deere uses it, that's really looking at that next thing in manufacturing. And so, and then I see the research part that has really finally developing at, at Iowa State University. Uh, and now when you see the private companies that are there along with the startups, and the private companies are there because even though they're legacy companies, they're innovating all the time too, and to have, and they want to be in that culture. So it is a much different place. So going forward, just keep pushing the envelope, right? right. Everything we do at IEDA and IFA is actually based on tremendous amount of research. And so we're always looking at, try to get ahead of things, what's next? Ed Tech is a great example, because we talked about what happened with education during the COVID, but you know, I was visiting, because I spent two to three days a week traveling the state talking to people of all, not companies and individuals of, from all walks of life, and it's because people keep it real, and you know what's working and not working, but I was at ACT talking to the CEO, and I thought, you know, what is the future of ACT? No offense, but you know, you can kind of see the writing on the wall, and we've seen some downsizing. And he was able to articulate a vision and a course going forward of what this is going to look like. And I thought, wow, we should be in front of, not only should we be in front of that, my God, we should own this space, right? Okay. We should own EdTech. And so we developed the EdTech initiative. We did a tremendous amount of research there. And this is kind of the epicenter of it right here. Um, and uh, so those are the kind of things that you learn. So I think what I would ask you to do is, um, I love to read, and so flood my email, uh, because I travel all the time, and I usually have somebody to drive, because it's safer for all involved, if I do that, and then I can work along the way. But send me ideas, send me things you've seen, send me things you see from other states, that are doing it better because we like to, to look at best practices. I guarantee at the end we will always do it better uh, because we are highly competitive in the state of Iowa. Uh, but anyway, just send me ideas. And if, if one of our programs is not working, it tell me, right? And we'll make changes because it is, it's really very, it, 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 somebody told me, I think it was an e uh, magazine reporter that did a story on uh, this ecosystem a few years ago, and he described IEDA as operating not like a typical stuffy uh, government agency, but really very entrepreneurial and almost like an accelerator, which to me was the greatest compliment anyone could pay us, don't you think? I, I agree. Yeah. I anyway. agree fully. And so you speak so highly of Iowa. I love Iowa. Uh, and so with that being said, so why are you such a big advocate of Iowa? You know, I think if I had to, and I think if this is why I, I didn't leave four years ago. Iowa is this remarkable place where you as an individual can make such an incredible difference. And then when we pull all of that together collectively, it's game changing, right? The other thing I love about Iowa is 
you know, my husband's a southern boy, and in the south, you know, if I wanted to serve on the art center board, it's kind of like, now who's your family, and what's your pedigree, and all of that, right? In Iowa, there's like one degree of separation. It's not six degrees of separation. You know, the only number on my business card is my cell phone. In fact, I told him to get rid of my desk phone. First of all, I'm not there. Secondly, it, it's just because that's how accessible people are. If you want to be on the art center board, board in Iowa, you tell somebody, the next thing you know, you're voted chair when you're not even at a meeting, right? It's just a different kind of place. But I think because we collapse all of that, if you will, stuffiness and hierarchy, and we're just about getting things done, I think we're just very real here. And I honestly believe with everything on the horizon, what I see today, even with all the headwinds that, I, and I follow, you know, I listen every morning, I go, have my news channels. I do Bloomberg News, I do Fox Business News, and then I do the BBC. Because and then the you hear- Iowa Innovation Podcast. Of course I do, and that, well, that will certainly be added because absolutely. But the point is, the reason I do that is because, you know, we're not isolated, right? We live in a global economy and there are some there are some really frightening headwinds out there, right? But with that said, I can't think of a better place to be than Iowa because I think we're doing, we're making a lot of the right investments and doing the right thing. And I believe in the people of Iowa that in spite of what happens in the world, that we are always going to fare better. And I do believe in the next five years, you're not gonna recognize this place with all the things that are on the board today from whether it's community development to economic development and opportunity. And uh, I just, I, I get pretty excited about it. It's a, it's a really easy thing to sell. I agree. As much as I, you talked on it lightly, and you know, with entre the entrepreneurial community, um, especially with Iowa getting slowly more diverse and seeing more people and it, having all walks of life with different ideas come, uh, come to Iowa, um, how is Iowa moving towards becoming more of an inclusive community as yeah. well as with help with underrepresented entrepreneurs in Iowa? Yeah, so that, and that is a great question. Um, so first of all, you know, we have, Iowa has an aging population and slow population growth. Um, if you do look at the population growth we've had, the majority of it is there because of immigration, right? The other thing is we will have our first county in the uh, state of Iowa by the year 2030, if not sooner, that the minority will be the majority population. So Iowa looks very, very different today. So when I travel the state, and again, in those communities of all sizes, meeting with leadership, I often don't see a really diverse leadership around the table, and that has got to change, right? And I encourage that. Because if we're building communities in which people want to live, then we need to embrace diversity. So the other thing that is you know, concerning to me is um, like if you even look at the funding we've done in our continuum, you know, there is, um, you know, the minority population is not represented as well as it should be, and women are not represented as well as it should be. So Anna and I were just talking uh, this morning. So we, through help with a program through the Treasury SSBCI, were able to, because we BioConnect is like our private sector corporation, right, that we spun off and then we can solely source to them. That's kind of in the weeds. But the one reason they were set off is the state can't take equity positions, right? We can do loans or we can do, you know, royalty payments, but we can't take equity. But so the, the corporation was set up so that we could create a fund that will eventually, in the process of being able to take equity. 
And um, in a venture, and Anna just said in the portfolio we started, 50% are women. Now, what was it, Anna, you said less than 2% women from funding across the country. So once again, I was leading, right? So that's at least on that. On the minority side, we're really looking at a lot of accelerators that we can do. You know, whether it's what Nancy does with Pi 515. If you look at, there's a new uh, group coming in, Court Street, Court 6 Avenue Street. Um, you know, there, there's a black accelerator in Waterloo. So we are beginning to see that, and we're really bumping up our TSB program and some of those, um, and even working with our bankers, actually, to make sure, even on the traditional side of the house, that we're seeing lending. But it is something, first of all, I think we have to recognize it's not where it needs to be, correct? Mm -hmm. Right, so let's first of all recognize we can do better. And the second piece is then I think we have to be extremely intentional about how we're going to get there and set those goals. And at IEDA and IFA, we are, we are going to do that. Nice. And so I am so intrigued just by how you speak about Iowa. I want to be like you when I grow up. Oh, good. Yes. I love that. But when we talk about that, so who inspires you personally and to have your mindset, of course, of course, about to talk about Iowa, but just to be able to just articulate and just just go with it who inspires you as individual? well there's so many people that inspire me but i have to say it started with governor branstead for me because you know he reached out to me um back you know when he won that election and asked me to lead this and truth be known i said no twice right and honestly the reason i said no was actually i think fear and in that something to admit right i mean i was going from a very small organization into a big big organization that again had this scandal and of course then the governor said oh by the way we're going to eliminate the department you're going to create something new right. and oh and also did you know that i on the campaign trail said that we we're going to create 200,000 new jobs which i thought i don't know how in the world that's going to work right <laughs> and then i learned that i would be the one responsible for that of course right uh and saying huh i don't know if you thought you were going to hire me to do this we probably should have talked about that job goal from the beginning, right? Because I knew it wasn't campaign rhetoric for him. It really was what he wanted. And he said the most amazing thing to me. He said, Debbie, first of all, I, I understand this is, this is a big job. But here's the deal. I've got your back. And I will do everything in my power to open doors for you and to support you. And he did that all along the way. And you thought, okay, how hard can it be, right? And so I think it was him. And now I get inspired every day. But I get inspired by you know, going out in communities. I was in Atkins the other day. I mean, a tiny town of a thousand people that did a catalyst and they, the city council was brave enough to take this one building on Main Street that, you know, the ugliest building in town. I would tell you probably was one of the ugliest buildings in Iowa to be candid. Uh, so truth be known, we gave them a hundred thousand and I thought, oh boy, how's this gonna turn? Well, yeah, that's not gonna go very far. Um, so I went to see it and it's, first of all, it is one of the best rehabs I have ever seen. It is, uh, you go in, it's this thriving bar Bar and restaurant upstairs they've got two market rate apartments written in this little bitty town at 800 and some dollars a month with a waiting list and you know what's happening now they said Debbie show us how we want to do this building next and we want to do this building and we're reaching out to this business and it's just so that inspires me right people taking risk and um, making things happen and then finding out really the energy behind that and the momentum. So yeah, it doesn't take much for me to actually be inspired to be very candid. <laughs> so you um, spoke at our annual meeting in Nuboco, uh, yes. Nuboco, Nuboco, sorry, <laughs> nervous. 
And, sorry, don't kill me, <laughs> Jill and Aaron. Uh, you talked at our annual meeting, which yeah. was lovely, and you talked about the challenge of luring new businesses as well as new workers and residents to Iowa. Um, Anthony ha moved here from, is it Waco? It's Waco, Texas. Okay, Waco, Texas. Oh, okay. I <laughs> said Waco. Why, yeah, yeah. The shade. I, uh, <laughs> You throw shade at me. True. Should, yeah, should he I call me out? Yeah, see, this yeah. is what we're talking about. This is okay. what we're talking he about. He calls me out every single time. And then my parents immigrated here from Scotland with very, very proud of them. At the time, I was like, I, I kind of want to stay home. I don't want to move to Iowa. But I actually didn't know where Iowa was. I thought I was on vacation for a year. I wasn't a very smart kid <laughs> until they enrolled me in school. And I was like, oh, we're here to stay. So what is, like, how do you get more people to move to Iowa? Because from the outside we have family from the uk i'm sure you have family in texas yeah. and you're trying to describe like the lure of iowa you're yeah. like because they think of like field of dreams um corn corn, corn. corn. Idaho. Farms. oh it's idaho oh, it's Ohio. Yeah. oh yeah. yeah quaker oats yeah. you know you don't yeah. think of yeah. what what i imagine it now yeah so let me just ask you this question so okay. now that you're here do you want to leave that's a true question that is a good question <laughs> Um, I don't think I, no, I don't think I want to leave. I definitely understand my dad's perspective of wanting to immigrate here. Yeah. He was definitely wanted, he always, he's, oh, he's a big advocate for Iowa. I think he should be here, like sitting here, because it's kind of a cruel joke that I'm sitting here, because he was the one who made this big move for us. Yes, we should meet him. No job, yeah. uh, left school at 16. It was very cool um, that he did. And so I feel bad, because I was kind of a pain in the butt as a kid, because I. Well, most kids are. Oh, yeah. But I was an extra pain in the butt. I would like, I refused to get my citizenship at 16, but my dad's like, you're gonna fail that test at 18, so I'll, let me get you your citizenship now. <laughs> He's like, you, I, math? I've Did seen... you have to do math on the test? I well, know. no, it's, a, oh, it's, it's yeah. uh, the American, the citizenship yeah, test. Yes, right, so yeah, but yeah, you said you didn't math. like math, so I didn't know. Well, there is math. counting involved, you know, how yes, states yes, and yes. flags and yeah, stuff. And yeah. he's like, I've seen your <laughs> grades, you're not gonna pass that yeah. citizenship test. So, um, but yeah, I'm very, now that I am an adult and thinking about with like, my future, I definitely would have moved. Like, I don't know if I would have had the courage, but I definitely see the promise and Iowa and the, the like life and the career I have. And yeah. I do want to stay. I do yeah. want to adventure more. I de definitely always wanted to live in Scotland for a little longer yeah. and come back. But definitely, Iowa is here to stay. See? Oh, I feel sweating. Okay. <laughs> you did good so answer. good. Good answer. Yeah. Okay, so don't come for me. Okay. Yeah. So we do all the marketing for the state. So we do business recruitment marketing, but we also do tourism. And um, so it seemed completely tone deaf during COVID to market for people to visit or to relocate when nobody was leaving their basements. So once again, we go into research mode and we ask this very question. Did COVID change the way you look at the place you call home and would you consider moving? And seven out of 10, this was a national research project that we did, seven out of 10 said yes, they would consider relocating. The demographics were really startling to me. It was the highest was 20 year olds followed by uh, 40 year olds followed, or 30 year olds followed by 40 year olds followed by 20 year olds. And so you look at that and you think, wow, that's intriguing, right? We have an aging population. These are very people that we need here to support me in my retirement, right? And all of us baby boomers. So the question then was, what would you move for? What would cause you to take that next step? Well, first of all, we also saw that there was a great connection with tourism because, you know, we look at, and if you think about yourself that, you know, does tourism drive the opportunity for workforce recruitment? And the answer is yes, because the the issue is when you go or the, the situation is 
When you go somewhere and have a wow experience, does it crush your mind? I can see myself living here, right? We all do that. My son and daughter-in-law are architects in the Hamptons. And um, you know, every time Jill and I go out there to see the Grand Boys, we think, gosh, this is a great place we could live here. Now, then we realize you really can't live in the Hamptons without a trust fund. So the answer is no, we will not be living in the Hamptons. But the point was that we know connection there. So we asked the people, what would you move for? Affordability, right? They really wanted to live bigger where they were. And so I was just ranked number one place in the nation, still affordable, that you can have the American dream of owning a home if you choose to. The second thing was economic vitality. And the, what that really, really meant was if I move myself, my family, um, it's disruptive. And what if it doesn't work out? Not everything works out, right? Is there another job in the marketplace that can utilize my skill set so I don't have to do this again? Very, you know, that's logical. The third thing was outdoor rec. They wanted uh, trails and parks and, you know, outdoor activities. And oh, by the way, they want to be connected the whole time because they want to share that with us on social media, of course, right. um, including what they had for lunch, which I really don't get that. Uh, why we share all of our food pictures. You know, I don't know. Media. I guess Come I on. just need to. They don't really let me, right? I, I, like yeah, I actually, yeah, I have <laughs> safeguards. I've been known to say things not appropriate. Uh, the th fourth thing was then arts and culture. They want arts and culture. And so we say, wow, we check all the boxes, what do you think of Iowa? And their response was, where the hell is Iowa, right? Idaho, flat. So we launched a national ad campaign called thisisiowa.com. Go to it if you haven't seen it. Absolutely breathtaking. It is breathtaking. And it is all about, and if you listen to the narrative, it's based on the research where rolling hills meet low bills, right? You can live big here. Look how beautiful this place is. And we launched it in national marketplaces. And then we wrapped it around with social influence media, you know, social influencers, social media. And we measured it. Oh my gosh, our positives have gone up 20%. Our outdoor rec things went up almost 30%. Our negatives went down by 50. Again, they were only 11% to begin with because nobody knew who the hell we were. But still, right, it's, it's, it's a movement. And we're seeing real traction. Now, now we're getting smart about it. So we went back into national market. So now we're working with the DOT. The Department of Transportation has this thing called in, uh, uh, credential surrendering. So meaning when you move to Iowa, you in a very short period of time have to surrender your driver's license. And so we know exactly where people are moving from, right? We know to the county in California, to the county in New York, and to the county in New Jersey in which we are media. Um, Camp I mean, we have our, our campaign there because people are moving. And now we're going to be working with the Alum Association and we're going to really be targeting down to really individual skill sets and really make the intention. If you also go to the website, we have this cost of living calculator because of the affordability, right? So if you were going to take this job in Chicago, what would you need to live on compared to Iowa? And so we're really now taking it even more. First of all, it was just to get the brand of Iowa out there so people really knew that there's much more to Iowa than meets the eye. But then now we're being really targeted strategic to where we can, and, and then we're going to start a major campaign for worker recruitment, so stay tuned. Uh, it is really exciting uh, to see it because once you introduce people to Iowa and show them that you really can live big here and there is opportunity and it is a very diverse culture that, uh, you know, people are, are, you know, really responding to that and they're responding to our messaging. So we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. No, this is pretty awesome. I mean, with me being from Waco, Texas, not Waco, Texas, uh, and also being on the stage with you is amazing. Um, and then even when you think about what, kind of what you talk about in the strategic standpoint of like your marketing. Yeah. And so why do you market places like New York or any of these bigger places to where people will move here, then they realize like, okay, it's not a bad place to move. Mm -hmm. So like, what's the marketing strategy around that? Well, so that's where we really use the social influence media, uh, influencers, because we have people that represent uh, our brand, right? right? But they also represent certain strategic markets. So age, diversity, you know, whatever that is. And so they kind of take the messaging that we do from a statewide perspective and then kind of make it work for the audience into which they're reaching. And I think that's why we've been so successful with that. The other thing we're going to do, so, you know, when I told you we research everything, you know, the bio platform, platform for Iowa is probably our deepest vertical, right, where we have incredible opportunity for entrepreneurship and innovation. But the thing that was startling to me when we went back in and updated to say our strategy's working, what's changed, who's our competitors out there, who's kind of moving ahead in this space, because we always want to stay in front. The thing that concerned me was that we're losing talent in, in bio. And, and let me tell you why that's, well, it's concerning on any level, but the main thing is these are jobs that pay 85% more than the average wage, right? These are highly skilled jobs that, that we need the talent to be able to really take these platforms forward. So now we're doing a research project, which I'm very excited about, first one we've ever done on workforce. So we're identifying in advanced manufacturing, the bio, insurance, and fintech. We're identifying the skill sets that are missing from these jobs. So then what we're going to do is work with the alums, the alum organizations at the university to say, we need people that graduated in these degree programs that have been in their, you know, been out, you know, five to six years. And we're going to strategically target them to come back and connect them with opportunity. We have never done this before, uh, but these are people like data analytics, certain kind of engineering. And I, I think that's going to be, one, I'm excited about it, but I think it's going to be extremely successful because, again, we know what moves them, right? right? So if we can just show them we've got all these other great things, affordability, the outdoor rec, all the stuff that we're investing in here, at the same time, Time, you know, we can connect you with a job that, you know, quite frankly, that you're going to pay what you're going to pay anywhere else, but you're going to be able to live big. You know, when my son and daughter-in-law bought their house in the Hamptons, because uh, they're the working class That's of the a Hamptons. Humble right there. Yeah, yeah, well, they're the working class of the Hamptons. So, uh, and so it's a it's a nice home, right? And they're architects, and so they're making it very nice. But I, you know, I saw what they paid for it, and you know, as I am a supportive mother, I have to tell you. I sent them the nicest housewarming gift. But I also included what they could have bought for that in Iowa. Uh, and uh, so, and I, I kind of do that. In fact, you know, occasionally my son may get call from headhunters, you know, saying that there's opportunity here. And, and Bo will call and say, did, did you have so-and-so? No, don't know anything about that. Um, so, yes, I'm, I'm still trying to get those grandsons back. How, how many bedrooms that if they could afford in Iowa? They well, they only have two. We sleep in the office when we go. And uh, <laughs> let me just say, they could they could live pretty big here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, one of these days. Yeah. And then could you just go into detail uh, for the audience, also our listeners, about the big bioscience report that's coming out either today or tomorrow? It's out. And it oh. just got it launched, what, yesterday? Nice. It's, it's on done. the website. So how many, it's a very long report. You could read the executive summary and get everything you need to know, but it's out there. About 80 pages. About eight. Did you read it? No. Oh, wow. <laughs> but you knew it was okay. 
so, no, Anthony, Eric pulled Anthony aside and said, talk about this. Oh. Eric didn't tell me anything. That was all me. All you. I yes. knew that. I, you can't read Slack messages sometimes. No way are you going to read what is it? What pages. Can it Slack what messages? I don't even know what that is. Slack? Oh, gosh. What is really Slack? Slack? <laughs> Slack is, what is Slack? It's like, um, I like don't a know. communication thing. A communication thing. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, we use Teams, I think. We'll oh, do that for no. another day. What are we talking about? Oh, the bio report. Yes, yes let's do that. Yes. Yeah, back to the bio report. Again, our deepest platform, an incredible opportunity within that. So what we identified within the study, that there's some emerging opportunities within that report. What do those look like? Well, one is digital and precision ag. So think about that. That is, again, space Iowa should own. We should never cede that space to anyone else. And that's why that billion dollars in investment in connectivity is so important, because farmers need that in their caps, right? The other one is medical devices or medical innovations now. We've expanded it. And of course, that's a great play for, for you all here in the University of Iowa and the great work that John and his team are doing. Other one is bio-based products, explosion right now. So if you think about it, you know, we have all these um, companies that have these very aggressive carbon zero goals, you know, by the year some 2030, between 2030 and 2050 that they have to meet. And Iowa, again, in, in, you know, you look at that we own ethanol and biodiesel, right? But we challenged ourselves years ago to think like a petroleum company in the sense that we could harvest green chemicals from that, just like they harvest petroleum chemicals. So think about the manufacturing process, plastics, for instance, or fibers that are so predominantly petroleum-based can now be done through a green platform, whether it's stream, whether it's harvesting from a fuel, fuel stream or creating new plant molecules. And there is a tremendous amount of money chasing this right now, big money, because these are, any one plant for any one chemical could be like $400 million, right? These are big investments. But right now the market is such that it makes sense to do it. Again, Iowa leading the way on this. And then you have vaccines and immunotherapies. I mean, you know, again, you, you know, I told you I had four grandkids and I was stunned. Not only was I stunned to see uh, the baby formula shortage, which by the way, we're going to take care of that too, um, by having a facility here in Iowa, but it's, it's antibiotics. I mean, we, you know how much stuff we outsource as America? That's the other thing that was a wake up call for COVID. We cannot rely, particularly countries that really at the end of the day are not our friends, right? We have to bring that back. So there's this major reshoring effort. Our portfolio today that we're working at an IEDA on the traditional side of the house in primarily this space alone in advanced manufacturing, $18.5 billion, right? Because of these companies need to find a home in the U.S. And of course, if it's in this biospace, the place that makes sense for us is here. And then the other area that's new in this bio report that I am really very excited about, but we're researching it, we're not gonna just jump in with both feet till we really understand what the potential is, is regenerative, regenerative ag. And you think, what is that? Well, it really is taking advantage of this carbon um, um, marketplace, right? And if you think about it, I was looking at carbon sequestration as just not the inputs at the crop level, because everybody focuses just on that level with the farmer. We really need to think about carbon sequestration in the entire supply chain. How do we help companies like ADM and you know, General Mills, you've talked about, or Cargill get to these carbon zero goals? We need to challenge ourselves to think about how we build our interstate systems. Is there a way to build our roads? 
roads and create transportation corridors, right? And this came from my buddy Scott Marler at the DOT, because I love this big thinking that we could actually get that to count towards that carbon because of the way that we source the products in uh, the road building. So it is tremendous opportunity. Uh, again, the only disappointing piece of it was that, we, well, I think we need to continue to make more investments as a state. Absolutely. But secondly, I think in the report, it's this talent piece. So we're going to deal with that too. Uh, but overall, good report. We're, you know, we're working the plan. We've got opportunity. If we seize the opportunity and if we take advantage of that, which is also why we need to have development ready sites and those things to go to, because, you know, we, we have to move at the speed of business. And, uh, but it's exciting to see what's happening. And Iowa is really kind of at the center of all of this. Debbie, and so you keep on touching on investments, yes. right, uh, in the Iowa community. And so whenever you talk about the investments on that side, of course, you see some return investment, right? But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. Um, and so what would you say is your best investment or a future investment that you have coming up? Well, you know, I think it depends on the space, but you know, if I just drilled it down to this neighborhood, right? But you know, what's happening in your backyard? I mean, I look at some of the investments we've been involved in. Vita over over the years has been a very successful investment for us. They've done great scaling. That's in the the uh, you know medical space, uh, and uh, so we've really thought that. You know, I look at higher learning and what they've done, and of course, you know, Adam has been just you know he's a leader on this ed tech and everything we've been doing there. But it really depends on the space. Uh, so, but right now, I think what I'm most excited about really for Iowa is in this bio-based products, right? I think, the, in fact, um, hopefully, uh, we're going to be able to make some announcements soon of showing um, some opportunities. And, and you know, everybody, and, and I get, I love that we're moving towards renewables, right? Because Iowa, again, once again, on the renewable space, has been leading that, that's been our calling card for a year. If you think about that our portfolio at the state is 60 some percent renewables and we at least have one uh, energy company that says they're going to get to a true 100% renewable with no smoke and mirrors. This is not because there's a lot of game playing in this space. You know, I go to these conferences and I see all these states put up things and they no way can meet these goals. We actually can meet these goals, right? Um, that uh, by 100% by the year 2030, absolutely game changing, right? Because again, towards carbon. So I would just put all the pieces together. So there's going to be some incredible opportunity in energy. But I will tell you this, that, um, you know, if you think of, we're a production economy, right? I love renewables, but you know, the wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine, batteries are not quite where they need to be, we're still a ways off on that. You still have to have a clean base load, and I am a huge fan of nuclear, and we need to have a conversation about that, and that not only in this country, and we're beginning to see that, but these modular nuclear units are so different than the units of past. So again, new things happening, but we have to always look ahead, because not only do we need it from a reliability point, we also still have to be competitive in our rates. And so those are some things happening. So that energy space, that bio space right now, extremely hot. Uh, but again, there's so many great stories that you have right here in your own ecosystem of some great companies that are excelling. Well, I know that the IDA uh, recently received a $96 million grant for small businesses. Could you give more information yeah. on how they can apply? Yeah, so, so basically the SSBCI program, the Treasury program, and let me tell you, 
you know, there's been a lot of money flowing, um, some of it good, a lot of it not. Uh, this is one that actually works. The SSBCI is ran through the Treasury Department. We got an influx, I mean, uh, a, a money from them years and years ago, which kind of started our whole innovation continuum. So, uh, so the SSBCI, we kind of divided it into several sectors. So we did small business, as you said, which really is targeting those disadvantaged communities. So minority, women, and working with our banking community, right? So that we can go in and basically, and Anna can give you all the details, it's on our website, of really helping them go to that next level. And by when I say helping, that means we're gonna come in and take a second, or not second, a guarantee with the banks so that they're more comfortable. The other thing we're doing, though, is helping um, bankers be comfortable with helping these plants transition to 4.0 factory floors, right? Because nobody wants to take equipment as collateral because it, you get, what, 10 cents on the dollar, right? It's not like farmland, which continues to increase in value. So, you know, bankers are reluctant sometimes to do that. And so we're going to do the same thing for those small to medium-sized manufacturers that doing these automation and AI, which by the way, explosives opportunity there. Uh, so we're going to come in and do the same thing. We're going to do some loan guarantees. The reason that we're working through our banking community is not only because one, we people need to have a relationship with a banker to scale their businesses, but our bank, you know, we're very fortunate in the state of Iowa that we have a great system of regional and community banks. And then of course, we also gave money to in, in a venture, which is our private corporation to set up that equity fund of investment. So we're pretty pleased with the plan. I mean, it was vetted by Treasury, and you know, I think it's one of the most comprehensive. At the end of the day, we have met really high metrics we have to meet with this. So we measure everything. We do a return on investment analysis on every single deal we have. Um, and luckily, you know, the portfolio is more positive than negative. Uh, so that's a good thing. So we're able to continue. But we're really excited about what the SSBCI did. Money, it, it gets to stay here. Um, and I think it's going to, you're, you know, you're going to see the legacy play of this, these investments we're making in SSBCI. But Anna Lensing can tell you all about it. We have stuff on our website. And uh, yeah, because she did great work putting all of that together. Hey, so Anna, we should give a big shout out to Anna. Anna! You are amazing! She is amazing. Yes, we do have a, you know, we have a real knack of you know, finding really good talent. Hey, guys. So I if either one of you ever get tired of this gig, give me a call. Oh, yeah, no, I did not yeah. hear that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but hey, so I know at NuboCo, uh, we have what's called the Community Partnership Program. Yes. So where we help out other communities trying to find uh, their hole in their ecosystem and we try to fill that yeah. hole in their ecosystem. And so when I think about more so, uh, I know this is a little off topic here on the questions. I think I, we're all over the place. <laughs> we are. We are. Uh, but I think yeah. about the, the rural communities yes. and uh, different businesses, of course, coming to those communities mm -hmm. or just entrepreneurs being able to develop in those communities. Do you have an initiative or anything like that to where these bigger businesses should move to these communities? Or uh, would this $96 million small business fund be able to help those entrepreneurs grow um, in that community to help out that? Yeah, so I mean, we have several, depending on where you are in your life cycle. I mean, we have our traditional high quality jobs that can help comp bigger companies make that transition. On the entrepreneurial, it's probably the continuum you know, um, cycle. Or again, if communities are looking at doing a new model in rural, that's where we do this entrepreneurial assistance award, which by the way, is not an ongoing award. It only we only open around when we see opportunities. So that's why you need to tell me of opportunity. 
and that's a great way if you're coming into a new communities you need to talk to us on expansion but particularly if you're looking at something new or looking at trying to meet a new population you know th that's the other thing about you know I the when we talk about not seeing um, innovation in all parts of our state and sometimes it's because it's it has to do with gender or, or um, you know diversity but it also has to do we're not seeing as much in rural areas and um, so we're really interested in doing that which is why I'm so excited about the InnoVenture fund because again 25% of the deals that we've done so far through that fund have gone to rural Iowa which is encouraging to me because in rural Iowa if you look at there's there's some truth that behind every cornfield there's a manufacturing plant I can attest to that because I'm behind every cornfield uh, that and they started with entrepreneurship so these rural communities have this rich history of, of entrepreneurs and innovation right and so what we need to do is just encourage that next if you will generation and so anything you can do because you know you really have developed some incredible programs and networks and you're so adaptable too, of really reaching out and finding those pockets that um, that need that assistance and yeah Again, we're very flexible. Someone called me the other day and said, do you have money for this? And I said, well, not exactly, but if you would make it look like this, I would have money, <laughs> right? Uh, and so I think we're pretty flexible about trying to work within the parameters that the state legislature gives us to, to really try some new things. And we really are not afraid uh, on the innovation side of taking risk. And if it doesn't work out, it's a learning experience for all of us. And then, you know, we, do, we make the changes and do something different, so. Well, hey, this is your director of uh, the IEDA, Debbie Durham, and we definitely appreciate you being on this podcast. Today. And this is the first so one live, is this right? I believe so. Well, with yeah, us. it yeah. may be the last one that we do oh, live. No, <laughs> surely, surely, surely not. Hey, this has been great fun. Thank you for what you do. Yes, right? oh, give I mean, a big round of applause yeah, to Debbie so Durham. Thanks so much to our guest, Debbie Durham, for coming on the show. You can learn more about the Iowa Economic Development Authority at iowaeda.com. You can also learn about the Iowa Finance Authority at iowafinance.com. And here I go again. If you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. Please leave a good review. A very good one. An honest review, I'd say. You know, And you can also visit our blog, nubo.co slash blog, to find key takeaways, summarized, and detailed. This podcast is produced and distributed by Upload Media Group in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information, go to uploadmediagroup.com. Finally, we would love it if you could consider a donation to Nuboco. We want all your monies. Your contribution to our nonprofit helps us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate. Thank you so much um, to the people that came out to Entrefest and watched this interview uh, happen live. We really appreciate all the support that you gave. Me and Anthony definitely felt a lot of support from the audience, so we appreciate that. Also, a big shout out to our Nuboco team and the Genovo team and everyone who worked with us to make Entrefest happen. It is an awesome conference, and it was a small group of people that made it happen, and it's just incredible. So thank you so much, and if you're interested in Entrefest next year, go to Entrefest.com. Thank you.